Hello, I'm Dave Dino. Welcome to The Living Word with biblical archaeologist and evangelist John Carter. In 1928, the stock market crashed. It was not just a depression for the United States. It was a worldwide depression. John, today our topic is financial security. And I began by alluding to some very familiar teasers that we might come across on cable television for programs that are designed to show us how to make a lot of money from nothing. Hmm. I wonder, is it really possible to make a lot of money from nothing? Dave, I think uh, you and I know that a person today must be very disbelieving of some things. Mm -hmm. But we need to find a believing in some very important things. There are a lot of ominous signs in the economy, not only of the United States today, mm. but in the economies of countries around the world, particularly in these unsettled times, that perhaps there could be a worldwide financial disaster. Do you believe that there could be a worldwide financial meltdown? There's a difference, of course, between saying that you believe it could be and uh, saying that you believe there will be. Mm. Uh, there's no question there could be. The awful disaster that came upon New York City at that great financial center could almost be an omen mm. of things to come. With the proliferation of, of terrorism, you can also have the paralysis of world markets. And with world markets tethering as they have been on the brink in recent months and recent years, this could be sufficient to push them over into, into recession and to depression. Bible prophets, Dave, certainly indicate that the last days are going to be times of of tremendous crisis mm. and tremendous tension. The Bible says perilous times are going to come or times of, of tension are going to come. In fact, there's a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel that seems to indicate that people in the last days will lose all confidence in finances. Mm. Can I read it to you? Yes, I'd like to hear yes, that. Yes, I was only reading this just the, the other night. And I thought to myself, of course, much of this is written in symbolic language. Mm -hmm. But this could be indicating that in the very last days, in the times in which we believe we are fast approaching, people could lose confidence in their, in their money, whatever it is, whether it's their securities or whether it's their checkbooks or their Amex cards mm -hmm. and so forth. Ezekiel chapter 7 draws a picture of the last days. It is a very, very strong picture. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the land of Israel. The end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. The end is now upon you, and I will unleash my anger against you. So this is an apocalyptic picture of of the closing scenes in the history of planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And then if you come down to verse 15, it says, outside is the sword. Inside are plague and famine. And then verse, let me see now, verse 19. Mm -hmm. This is the verse that caught my attention because mm -hmm. it's in the context of the last days. They will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be an unclean thing. Their silver and gold will not be able to save them in the day of the Lord's wrath. Now, these words were written many, many years ago when the only currency people had was silver and gold. Mm -hmm. If we were to put this in the context of our present day, we could talk about other commodities, could we not? We could. And it seems to indicate that in this last time, these commodities are going to become so, so lacking in value that people are going to throw them out on the street 
because they're, they're going to say this stuff is worth nothing. We alluded to this in another program that we were together in. Yes. About how Jesus himself talked about the last days. Yes. He says, so as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the last days. Hmm. And he talks there about a frenzy of commerce, a frenzy of buying and selling. Hmm. It, it, it is almost, as I view that, almost in, in a sense, a beehive of frantic activity Yes. to keep it going, keep it going. Yes. And, you know, there is another prophecy that you and I are aware of where it says, when they say, hmm. peace and safety, hmm then sudden destruction comes upon them and they shall not escape. Bible prophets likened the end of the world or the end of this era to the last night in Babylon. Hmm. And Babylon was a time when Babylon went down under Belshazzar, it was a time of riotous living. Mm -hmm. They were drinking, they were carousing and they were worshiping foreign gods. Hmm. You remember the story when mm -hmm. the writing mm -hmm. came on the wall, on the wall. Many, many tekel, you fasten, you are weighed in the balances, mm -hmm. found wanting. wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Mm. And uh, those people inside the city of Babylon had, Dave, no idea that judgment was coming upon them. It was a time of peace and safety. They said, look at the walls of this city. It is impregnable. It cannot be overthrown. If the Bible prophet said, it would be overthrown. It was a time of peace and safety. And then sudden destruction came. The Bible says, this is what it's going to be like, as you have alluded to in the last days. People will be filled with an intense frenzy. The, the great markets will be crowded. There will be intense commercial activity. And then something is going to happen. Maybe something like that, which came upon the great city of New York mm -hmm. with that frightful terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. And there's going to come an international disaster. And that which men have worked all their lives for, they've sold their souls mm -hmm. for it. The prophet Ezekiel said, it is the stumbling block of their iniquity. Hmm. The stumbling block of their iniquity. It, it, it means that they have sold their souls for these things, these material things that all of a sudden, because of some great disaster, it's worth nothing and they throw it in the streets and nobody bothers to stop and pick up the mm. stuff because it's worth nothing. We've seen visions of that. Yes, we have. Instances of that. Over the history mm. of mankind, specific cultures and governments and societies where the money has become so devalued that they literally had to carry it in, in wheelbarrows just yes. to buy a loaf of bread. Back in the days of Singapore, when the Japanese came down, just mm -hmm. before Singapore was overthrown, a man who was there told me the story. He said there was a businessman, he had a magnificent motor car. You know, it was like having a Rolls Royce today, mm -hmm. worth a lot of money. And uh, he turned to someone in the crowd because the Japanese were coming and he wanted to get out of the place. Mm -hmm. He just said, as he was leaving, he was hoping he'd get on a boat and escape to Australia or somewhere. And he said to the man, look, take the keys, take this. He said, what do you mean? He said, I have no need for it, just take it. Hmm. It had lost all value. Right. What do you do with a Rolls Royce or a brand new gold-plated Cadillac if your freedom is going to be taken from you and if your world has collapsed? John, what will happen around the world if there is a financial meltdown. I believe, Dave, this is a very penetrating question. I believe this would perhaps pave the way for the coming of the final manifestation of the Antichrist. Mm. Now, the Antichrist, the Bible teaches, is a union. Let me think this through as I say mm -hmm. it to you. It is a union of religious and political powers that takes freedom from men and passes religious legislation to force people to worship, as the Bible says, the beast and to get the mark of the beast. Something tremendously catastrophic must befall the human race to drive the nation so close together that they're going to support 
a totalitarian system which is going to not only restrict their religious liberties but take them away. Now, people have said, and uh, you can understand this, they've said, you know, with this terrible terrorism that happened in the great city of New York and in Washington, the government is saying, you can't do this, you can't do that now, and you've got to do this. They say, well, this could lead to a restriction of our liberties. Mm -hmm. Now, we recognize that there are liberties that every person must surrender. That means the liberty of getting on a plane in a hurry. You can't mm -hmm. do that anymore. Mm, that's true. But when it comes down to taking from people civil and religious liberties that people mm -hmm. have died for, that my ancestors died for and your ancestors died for, to preserve the social order, that's where the danger is. And the Bible says in the last days, in this world and even in the United States of America, where we honor religious liberty, where it's a part of the, the fiber of society, where it's in our bones. Something is going to happen whereby a system is going to arise which is going to take from the people the privilege of worshiping God according to the dictates of their consciences. I believe the terrorism, nuclear disaster, and a subsequent collapse of the monetary system could pave the way for the coming of the Antichrist. These are very frightening images, and I want to talk before mm. our time together today is finished. I want to talk yes. about what we can do about that, what that means to each of us personally, mm. and how we can deal with that and live with that. But I want to talk about these two words first, financial security. Yes. We put them together. Mm. They have a positive, mm. And they have what might be called a, a mystic type of a definition, the positive definition, short term. Everybody wants and needs some level of financial security, don't they? Yes. I mean, we want to care for our families. Surely. Talk to me a little bit about that, the positive aspects of financial security. The Bible tells us and this seems a, uh, it seems a promise that is almost too, too great to believe. But mm. the Bible says that if, if you honor the Lord with your substance, mm. with your first fruits, if mm. you put God first, mm. that God will take care of you. Mm. Now, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, mm. and all these other things will be added unto you. Now, Jesus there was talking the other things. He was talking about material things. He said, now the heathen are crazy to get material things, and they worry about material things. But Jesus said, you're not going to be like that. You mustn't be like that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and you will have God's righteousness, and you'll have the kingdom, and these other things will be added unto you as well. David said, I have been young. Now I am old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Mm -hmm. We sing that wonderful old song, or we listen to the old song when it is sung. God, don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. God will take care mm -hmm. of you. So we can have beyond financial security. That's perhaps that's what we ought to call this discussion today, mm. beyond financial security. It goes beyond that because if you're in the hands of an almighty God, you are in a safe place and there, you are secure. Is there anything wrong with accumulating wealth? Uh, n no, there's nothing wrong with the accumulation of wealth when it is used for the blessing of mankind. Mm. But the accumulation of wealth that is hoarded up for the selfish use of one individual or just a few individuals is, is a curse. Mm. It is a curse to that individual and those individuals and uh, it removes the blessing from the world. I've met so many people, Dave, in my ministry who have not had a lot of money. They've had enough. 
but they have been the most unselfish and the most happy people. And on occasions I've met some extremely wealthy people who live only for themselves. It is me and mine and all of this. And yet they have in their souls a bitterness and there doesn't seem to be a peace that has come with their wealth. But there's nothing wrong with money in itself. It is the love of money. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says it is the love of money which is the root of all evil. What I hear you saying then is that there's really a question about whether we can have real security in financial matters. David, we can have the security in financial matters when our lives are in God's hands, knowing that he has promised to supply Mm. our needs. If you think financial security, if I think financial security is having all my wants supplied, then I'll never have security. Let me read you, if that's okay, Mm -hmm. Philippians chapter 4. And this is one of the fat texts of the Bible. Hmm. It is just a marvelous chapter. If you're feeling low, read Philippians 4. Philippians 4 and verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs. Another translation says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between needs and wants. Mm. And God has promised to supply the needs of his children. And that is financial security. It's very difficult when we read biblical descriptions about end times. It's very difficult for us to, to really believe some of what is said. I mean, in the last days... You know, terrible times will come, mm. to, to be yes. loosely uh, paraphrased. Uh, it talks about famine yes. and pestilence being widespread. And we think, well, we are living in a world where we are gaining more and more control of mm. things like this. Uh, there should be no famine. We should be conquering diseases. And yet the Bible says that there will be great famine and mm. great pestilence in mm. the world. Why? I believe, Dave, that these things come upon us largely because we are reaping what we have sown. Mm. I believe that because man has interfered so, so much with the laws of nature, that now, because we have sown to the wind, we're reaping mm. the whirlwind. But having said all those things, when I read the Bible and I read the book of Psalms, and I read the book of Deuteronomy, which I'd like to read soon. Mm-hmm. I read their tremendous pro- uh, promises. Yes, prophecies too, but I read tremendous promises that tell me that I have a Father in heaven who is vitally and keenly interested in me as a person. And he's interested in you as a person. And he has said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you make me first, And if you enter into a covenant relationship with me, I will take care of you and I will supply your needs. John, you you alluded to Deuteronomy. God has made promises in Deuteronomy that that assure us that he will bless us financially and in every way. Now, this is in the Old Testament. Yes. Does this apply to us today? Uh, Can I read some of these Mm -hmm. huge texts? Deuteronomy chapter 28 was written back in the days of Moses, about three and a half thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. God said to the children of Israel when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, I want to enter into a covenant with you. And if you obey my voice, if you do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to do something for you in return. Now, I believe that these promises apply to God's people today. And Mm. I can give you reasons for this. Deuteronomy 28. God says, if you fully obey, well, Moses says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Mm. You will be blessed in the city and blessed 
in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. If these words were written today, God would say, I will bless your computer. Hmm. I will bless your refrigerator. I will bless you as you drive in your car to work. I'll bless you as you drive in and I'll bless you as you go home. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. If these words are written to us, God would say you will receive all these lawsuits. People will take you to court for unjust reasons, but I will overturn those lawsuits. Ah. I've had this happen in my own experience. Mm -hmm. Some time ago, I had a person who sued me personally and sued our ministry and our church. But God wonderfully overthrew that he absolutely exposed it and was completely thrown down. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. <laughs> hmm. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. And then it goes on and it talks about curses for disobedience, blessings for obedience. Hmm. So God said to the chosen people, and he was making a solemn covenant with them. Think of the times. They'd just come out of the land of Egypt. They'd been a bunch of slaves. They were going into the land of Palestine. They were surrounded by enemies, the Philistines, hmm. other tribes, out to get them, out to destroy them. God said to me, now look, I'm going to do something for you. If you follow me, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if you make God first, and if you obey his word, I am going to bless you and I'm going to make you a prosperous people. Dave, either we believe these promises or we don't. Now people will say, you know, as you alluded, you said people say, well, that's the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. These promises were given to the children of Israel. How on earth can we today, sitting here in the United States of America, how can we apply these promises to us? Mm -hmm. And there is an answer. We're waiting. Dave, God has a new Israel, a new chosen people. Israel was the people of God. There's no doubt about this. But Jesus said to them, because they rejected him as the Messiah and the Savior, Jesus said, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. That's taught in the Bible. Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. you, you know it. The kingdom of God shall be taken from mm -hmm. you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Mm. And then the Bible refers to the followers of Christ, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. If they're in Christ, the Bible says, you are a chosen nation. Mm. So God has a new chosen nation. And the Bible goes on to say, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. 
And Paul says in the book of Galatians, if you belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That is the book of Galatians. If a person belongs to Christ and follows his word, he then becomes a child of the covenant and can claim these promises. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that the land of literal Israel is the promised land anymore. Hmm. I don't believe that. Hmm. I don't believe that for one moment. I don't believe it's the holy land. Don't believe that. I believe that God has got a new holy land and that God has got a new people and it's no longer based on racism. You see, in the Old Testament, it was based on racism, mm. we could say. It was based on a Jewish nation. Mm -hmm. But in the New Testament, there's no racism anymore. It is anybody who believes, whether he is a Jew or a Gentile, he becomes a part of this new covenant-keeping community. Let me, let me read you this text in Galatians in the New Testament, because... If, if what we are propounding today is true, then we have a, a tremendous case for claiming these promises from God, you see. Now, I'm going to turn here to the book of Galatians, and I think it's num chapter 3. Mm -hmm. Now, he's writing to Galatians, and the Galatians were Gentiles. This is Galatia. You're not writing to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. writing to the Galatians, Gentiles. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ... Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Dave, Abraham's seed, if you take this literally, this talks about the Jews in Palestine over there today. Mm -hmm. This passage is saying, no, no, no. It's no longer the flesh that counts, it's the spirit. And if a person belongs to Christ, whether he is a Jew or whether he is a Russian or whether he is an American, or even, even if he is an Australian. It doesn't matter who he is. He is a child of God. He is one of Abraham's seed. Now, mm -hmm. if I mm -hmm. am a part of Abraham's seed, that makes me into a spiritual Israelite. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the promises that were made to Israel back here, mm -hmm. those promises were forfeited to the people who rejected the Messiah, those promises no longer apply to them because they were based on condition. God said, if you obey my voice, and that included accepting the Messiah, so those promises no longer apply to people according to a certain race. Is God a racist? No, God is not a racist. In the Old Testament, he raised up a people, but his purpose wasn't to keep that message there among the Jews. God wanted the Jews to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. He wanted to evangelize the whole world and, and use the Jews as in the New Testament he used the 12 apostles. When you come to the New Testament, because of the failure of the literal Israelites to accept the Messiah, God has said, well, I'm not going to be defeated, but he said, I'm going to take the kingdom of God from these and I'm going to give it to People everywhere in the world, Russians, Americans, Ethiopians, Africans, everybody who is in Christ. And I'm going to count those people as being my special chosen people. And if this is so, Dave, then we can believe the promises that were given back there. Having stated that, yes, we move to the topic that may make people in the pew the most uneasy. Mm. <laughs> Tithing. Yes. We've talked about the promises of God. Yes. We've talked about how God has promised from His side yes. to bless us. And yet God asks us to do something. Dave, all of the promises in the Bible 
which apply to the chosen people of God, God's people, are given on conditions. Hmm. Those conditions are if you obey my mm -hmm. voice. Mm -hmm. God says, I'm going to bless your body. I'll bless you. I'll make you healthy. But if you go out and, and break the laws of God, don't expect that God's going to make you healthy because mm -hmm. he's not. Mm -hmm. If I smoke cigarettes, knowing that it's, it's the main cause of lung cancer, don't expect that God is going to bless my mm -hmm. lungs. He's not going to bless my, my lungs. Mm -hmm. If I go and eat junk food, that is full of, of poison and chemicals and, and uh, full of cholesterol mm -hmm. and hydrogenated fats and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And if I pour the stuff into my body, don't think that God is going to work a miracle to undo the evil that that stuff is working mm -hmm. in my arteries. Mm -hmm. We're in a building here today at the Carter Report Center. Yeah. People can't see this on television, but this place, the main sanctuary, has got mm -hmm. a very high ceiling. That it does. You know, very high, stained glass windows, mm -hmm. high ceiling. Mm -hmm. If I climb up there on the roof of the building at 100 West Duarte Road and sort of become delusional and flap my wings and jump <laughs> off, I can believe as much as I like that I'm an angel, but I'm going to fall down and break my neck mm -hmm. because I'm breaking the law of God. I'm breaking the law of gravity. Right. If I break the laws of nature, I don't really break the laws of nature. I break myself. Mm -hmm. So the body, Bible tells us if you want to be healthy, obey. Obey. And there are laws in here concerning health. And it has been discovered that the people who follow the laws of the Bible live many, many years longer mm -hmm. than people mm -hmm. who don't. They don't get the heart disease. They don't mm -hmm. get the cancer. Mm -hmm. Dave, in exactly the same way, as far as finances are concerned, I must obey God's spiritual laws of finances. That means obeying the voice of God. And as you have suggested, it means tithing. Let's talk about tithing for mm -hmm. a moment. Just for those, perhaps, who are somewhat new to the concept. Yes. The basics, the ABCs of what tithing are, what it is, mm -hmm. what it's designed to do. Well, Dave, a tithe means a tenth. Mm -hmm. The Bible talks about tithes and offerings. Mm -hmm. It is an historical fact that God said to the literal Israelites in the Old Testament, now you tithe. And then he said, after you tithe, you give offerings. Mm. And when the people of God, when they had sufficient faith to be obedient to God and they did this, Israel became a city on a hill. Mm. It became like a little paradise. In the days of Solomon, it says gold was like dirt. Mm. Silver, you couldn't be bothered with it. There was tremendous prosperity. Our biggest problem is that we lack faith to believe in the greatness of God to fulfill his word to us. The Bible teaches if we are to, to enjoy this measure of financial security and beyond financial security, we must have faith and we must have obedience. And I want to read this passage to you. Uh, you've referred to tithing and one of mm -hmm. the clearest passages mm -hmm. is Malachi. Mm -hmm. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God says, if I changed, if I got mad with you, I'd destroy you. Because, you know, mm -hmm. you're not the, the best, people, best people around. But he says, I don't change. Therefore, you're not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you say, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse. The whole nation of you. Because you are robbing me. Cursed. Goodness. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops Hmm. and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God says, would you rob God? And he says, but you robbed me. And they say, how on earth have we robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. You're robbing me. And he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And then he says, prove me in this. If you obey me, if you seek me first, if you worship me, you see, Dave, this is not a legalistic thing. This comes down to a sense of the greatness of God, mm. worshiping God, acknowledging the sovereign sovereignty of God, that I, I'm, you know, man is not the measure of everything. Man is not the master of his own fate. We must recognize that there is a sovereign Lord and he made us and our breath is in his hands. He can take it any moment he wants to. He is the Lord and we come and acknowledge him and we worship him and we thank him for Jesus. And then because of our gratitude to him and because of our acknowledgement of him, we return to him the first fruits. John, you said this is not legalistic. No. Scripture talks about... But it's legal. Ah. Not legalistic, but legal. What's the difference? Oh, well, the difference. Legal means obeying the law. Now, when you came mm-hmm. over to our office today, I'm going to be quite legal with you in the sense that I'm not going to try to steal your car because that would be breaking the commandment mm-hmm. that says don't steal Dave's car. Mm-hmm. Not that I would <laughs> be wanting to do that, but I'm just saying this. Legalistic is an attitude of Pharisaism that believes that we are saved by our own goodness Mm. and the pursuit of our own righteousness. This is self-righteousness when we think that we can earn the love and the mercy and the grace of God by what we do. It's the old religion of do, 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 cock-a-doodle, do. (laughs) But it is not the religion of God. Now, legal means in harmony with the law. Mm Mm-hmm. You and I believe that we should be in harmony with the law. I should be in harmony with the law of nature, the law of gravity, the law of my own being, and the law of spiritual dynamics and financial security. Let me see if I can put it this way. I drove here today. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a legal aspect of my driving. Yes. I must legally be licensed. Mm -hmm. I need to drive within the legal speed limit. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't have a problem with that. No, it's okay for me. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've done that. So that's, that's obeying the legal part. Sure. But if I now suddenly say, because I did those things, I find favor with God, and God is going to bless me, and, and, and I take it on out to that end. Now I've taken and taken something which is just a legal obligation, and I've moved it far beyond in God's eyes. It's called works righteousness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And back into legalism again. It's the most common religion in the world today. Mm -hmm. Many, many people, perhaps most people in the world think, well, look, I'm a good guy. Mm -hmm. I pay my taxes and I help my neighbor and God's just got to make room for me in heaven. In fact, a man came to me recently and he said, look, I, I just don't uh, he said, look, I, haven't, I don't see my need of accepting Christ as a Savior. Mm. That's what he said, Dave. He said, I don't see my need of accepting Christ as a Savior. In fact, he said, I think the Bible's got full of lots of mistakes. <laughs> well, you say those things when it's getting to you, uh-huh. you see. And he said, so I don't believe all this, but he said, my family can testify that I'm, I'm generous. I sent you some almonds down with a friend so that you could give it to the Russians. He said, I I believe in generosity. He said, I reckon God will just have to somehow make a deal with me and fit me in. God will just have to. God will sort of make, what's his God? His God must be a little ant. Mm -hmm. See, he's got no idea of the greatness of God, Mm -hmm. of the mercy of God, and the justice of God. God is a righteous God. He's He's a holy God. 
And God has told us that the only way home to the kingdom is through faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells me that if I want to enjoy the blessings of the covenant, the blessings of prosperity that he promised to his people back here, and they enjoyed it for many years, but they lost it when they rejected the Messiah. Mm. He says, if you want to enjoy those promises, then obey me. John, you've told us both about the reverential side of mm -hmm. tithing and the practical rewards yes. of tithing. Now, when I tithe, yes. when I give gifts, hmm. do I have any say-so over how those are used? Oh boy, that's a good question, Dave. I believe that I should tithe with a sense of responsibility. I know there are some who don't see it this way, mm. and they say to me, well, look, just put it in blindly, and what they do with it, it, it doesn't really matter, because once you give it, it's no longer your responsibility. I believe in being responsible. I wouldn't place money in a bad market, mm -hmm. would you? No. I wouldn't put my money in an investment that was a bottomless pit. Mm -hmm. I think the Lord would want me to invest money where I see a return. And tithe is for the work of the gospel. It is for the work of preaching the gospel. It is not for the work of, of uh, mundane, secular things. It's not for that. It's John. for the gospel. And if I, if I should put my tithe where souls are being saved for the kingdom of God. People are watching this program today. Yes. If they want to support the work of the Carter Report, mm -hmm. they, can send, they can send money. Yes. And we're grateful for that. Yes. And we thank them for that. But should the Carter Report be used as their tithe if it's not their home church? I have always, I've been a minister now for, um, since 1962, been engaged in this work 39 years. I've always encouraged people to put their tithe in their local church. Mm -hmm. Always done that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, as the years have come and gone, I've realized that I cannot tell people what to do with their money. I don't believe in a religious hierarchy or a religious dictatorship that says, if you don't put your tithe in this certain mm -hmm. way, you're just not going to go to heaven. You're going mm -hmm. to go to hell and you're sinning. I believe we should leave it to the Spirit of God, working upon the heart of a person to direct him or her to use his tithe or their tithe for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. In our country today, we have developed a belief that the poor should not have to pay. Mm -hmm. And we reinforce that with our tax system. If you make below a certain amount, you pay no taxes. Mm -hmm. If you make a lot of money, you pay a much larger percentage of taxes. Zero, large percent. People will carry this over into their view of how the church should treat the poor. Should the poor be asked to tithe we to should God's not, work? Uh, thank you, Dave. We should not take a, a political system and impose that upon the Bible. If you go to a communist country, people don't pay any tax at all, so they say, because everybody is equal except the leaders. The Bible tells us that there is a tremendous blessing for the person who tithes. Mm -hmm. I would not like to deprive a poor person of God's blessing. What a terrible thing it would be to say to a poor person, hey, your money, even though it's a little bit, is not sufficient. Mm. And don't you put your money in the church. It's not sufficient. Or that it means nothing it to It means nothing. 
Jesus told the story of the widow mm -hmm. who brought a little coin, a mite. That story has been told around the world. My old mother is 93 years of age. She is faithfully tithe. Hmm. My mother is not wealthy. My mother, I would think, is poor. She doesn't own a home. When I went back last time, the old refrigerator that my father had bought her years ago, he's been dead now, 15, 16 years. The old thing was just about rusted out. I went down to a big marketplace and bought her a brand new whirlpool mm. and had it delivered. Can I tell you something funny? Mm. I was away when it was delivered. And when they delivered it with the truck, there was only one man on the delivery truck. My mother said, how are you going to get this in? He said, well, can you help me? Oh, she's 93. <laughs> so my mother got out and helped him get this big refrigerator up the stairs and into the kitchen. John, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but Dave, should I say to my mother, because you've always been poor, your money's not worth it. Mm. No, no, no. She wants to be part of this work. She wants to be part of the preaching of the gospel. And when people tithe, as the Spirit of God moves upon their hearts, as they tithe, and as they obey God's word, they come into a covenant relationship with God where God opens the windows of heaven and blesses them. Mm. God has blessed me and Beverly a thousand times more than I could have expected. And I have been, by the grace of God, trying to return to God a faithful tithe. I've le I learned that when I was a poor student going through Avondale College when I, I hardly had two cents to rub together. But God taught me back there that he would supply my needs, and he has. You talked about opening the windows of heaven. Yes. Pouring out a blessing. Yes. Meeting your needs. Yes. There are times when that happens, when we call that a miracle. Yes. Do you believe in miracles, modern-day miracles? Oh, yes, I do. Why? Because I believe that God is alive. And I believe that the great God of the universe can do a few things that I haven't worked out yet. <laughs> I think that the God who made a million, trillion, billion, zillion stars, I think he can do a few things that poor John Carter can't understand. I've seen God reach down and touch people. I've seen God turn lives around. I've had needs myself, and for the Carter Report ministry, I've had needs for the Russian people that have been pressing needs, and I, I've sometimes felt desperate. But I've seen God remarkably answer prayer when we have had a time we didn't know when we were going to pay the bills. Mm. And I go down, pick up the mail, and bring it in, the ladies count it, and they say, look, look, look at this. <laughs> Here's a check for 25000 this is what we this is what we needed so god can do these things i believe you know was it uh, who was the man who who said your god is too small mm -hmm. cs lewis mm -hmm. your god is too small mm -hmm. sometimes people worship a god who's not much bigger than a, an ant and they think he's just a little god but the god whom we serve is the god who made the stars he's the god who gave us his son He's the God who loves us. And this God says, I'm going to bless you. Here are the promises. I want to say to the people who are viewing the telecast today, Dave, if you're not tithing, you're missing out on a tremendous blessing. You're living in a barren spiritual wilderness. And you're stealing from God if you're not tithing. And God wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. Seek first the kingdom of God and then be ready to receive the great blessings that he has for you. John, I want to ask you a very personal question. Yes. You and I watch Christian television. We see yes. it from time to time. Mm. And there are a variety of programs on that will encourage people to support their program and to send in a lot of money. Yes. I think the phrase normally is, in whatever way the Lord has blessed you. Mm -hmm. 
But then we turn around and we see once in a while the opulent lifestyle of the person yes. who's asking for the money. Hmm. What's your view of that? I think it's despicable. I think when people use the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus to unjustly enrich themselves, it is a curse. I believe those people are under the curse of God, whether they're television evangelists or whoever you call them. They, they are religious terrorists because they're terrorizing the poor people with false promises and false hopes and false threats. You've alluded to these things, and we know it is true. I know only recently a member came to me and said, such a man who claims to be an evangelist and he claims to be poor, and now he's gone and bought a home with a tremendous cost mm -hmm. in a most expensive part of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I won't mention the place, but... You and I, Dave, couldn't live there. Mm. A tremendously expensive place. And he said, what am I going to tell my congregation? Or somebody said to him, why don't you say that your son gave it to you? Oh, he said, that's wonderful. <laughs> I will tell the congregation next Sabbath that my son bought this property for me. What does this do to the confidence of people when they discover these things? Fortunately, Dave, I know a multitude of honest, decent ministers who would rather die than do such a thing. But there are those who prostitute the cause of Christ. But even though people do those evil things, that should not rob us of the blessing. But it should teach us to be wise stewards and to put our money where we see results. We can give our money to men. Mm -hmm. We can give our money to God with the wrong attitude. Yes. We began today by talking about financial security. We have just a couple of moments left. I want to give you an opportunity to go back to that topic again and to restate again here at the close of our program the real meaning God's meaning of financial security. Financial security is knowing that you're in the hands of God and that nothing will happen to you financially or in any other way that God has not provided. We're told that God will supply all our needs. Mm. Our needs should not be considered to be wants. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned whatever the state of circumstances to be content. Mm -hmm. But Dave, we should never, never forget that in history there have been characters who've stepped forward upon this stage of this world like Abraham, who really believed in God, who had faith in God, and obeyed, who obeyed his word and God blessed them in a marvelous way. What we need today is faith and obedience. And remember this when we read the stories of the Bible about how God blessed King David and Abraham and other great characters. We should believe that what God has done for men in the past, mm. God can do for men and women today. John, thank you very much. Thank you.